Well, in 2015, uh, a famous rapper was on vacation with his celebrity wife. And as happens for people who are famous, the paparazzi were there taking pictures, invading their space. You know how it goes. And they snapped a picture of this particular artist. Uh, he was having a special moment with his wife. But what caught the attention of the internet was not this tender embrace, but the artist's knees. He was wearing shorts that day, and he didn't normally wear shorts. Normally wore long pants. <laughs> and his legs were so unexpectedly skinny and non-muscular that that people on the internet just couldn't help themselves and they started creating memes you know those pictures with funny captions not a nice thing to do often but it was funny <laughs> and uh, things like don't ever skip leg day or there was something about <laughs> you know the preacher this is what happens when the preacher threw holy oil on him and said get up and walk you know, like they hadn't been used in so long. Again, not a nice thing to say. Um, but I will admit I did have a good chuckle over it. But one that struck me was they superimposed the body of a camel onto this guy's legs as if the, his legs were the front legs of a camel. And I don't know if you've seen a camel or the legs of a camel, but if you have, saying that you have camel legs that's not a compliment, okay? Boys and girls, this is not a nice thing to say, okay? Not a nice thing. Camel legs, I mean, if you're a camel, they're great. But for humans, not so much. But there's an exception, because the, uh, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother James, he was called Old camel knees. And for him, in my opinion, it was a great compliment. Because see, James, the brother of Jesus, had spent so much time on his knees in prayer that over time, after kneeling on hard floors, on, on the ground, on stone, on dirt, his knees had become so calloused and so shaped by the experience of prayer that they started calling him old camel knees. James was somebody who knew about prayer. James can tell us about prayer. So as we prepare to wrap up the book of James, realizing we've only scratched the surface, uh, particularly in how we apply it to our lives, but as we conclude the book of James today, James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, we are going to be reminded of the power and the importance of prayer from old camel knees. So I invite you to turn there. James chapter 5, verse 13. The Bible says, starting verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering. Anyone suffering today? You don't have to raise your hand, but all of us are probably suffering in some way or another. 
I may put my sunglasses on, so that's why I have them on my head. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of bright. But I don't want some horrible glare back into the camera. So thinking of you folks at home so a little bit. Is anyone among you suffering? What's the prescription? Dr. James, old camel knees, what does he say? Let him or her pray. In times of suffering, we are often called to prayer by our own sense of our need. But in fact, we're to see in every difficulty, Ellen White says in the book, um, Desire of Ages, page 667, in every difficulty, we are to see a call to prayer. Some of us feel a call to cursing in difficulties. That's not what James says. Some of us feel a call to complaining in difficulties, but that's not what James says. We are to see a call to prayer. Are you suffering? He says, let him pray. Okay, is anyone cheerful? Anyone cheerful this morning? What does James prescribe? Let him sing psalms. What are the psalms? It's the prayer journal of David and, and a few others. Sing your prayers. And as Clary likes to say, and I like it too, the one who sings prays twice. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're doing well, pray in song to God. We get ourselves into trouble when we're doing well and we forget to pray. But James says, no, when you're doing well, sing to God about it. Pray to God about it. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of church and let him pray. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I want to notice a couple of things here. First of all, the person who's sick, they're encouraged to do the initiating in the process. Let him, let her call the elders of the church. And we're making it super easy today for anybody that wants it. Either today or we could schedule it for a future time. But notice here also that James says, let him call the elders of the church. So he's speaking to people and implying that we are called to be a part of a church, a local church. And I know it's really hard during COVID. And I respect anybody that feels that they need to be home for their health's sake right now. Please, we want everyone to be safe. But during regular times, everyone should belong to some church, a local church, where you have the ability to call the elders. Because who else would the elders be? Some old guy at the supermarket? Hey, come pray for I mean, that would be, that'd be good too. But James anticipates that we belong to a body, a local body where we can call upon people for spiritual support. It's a blessing to be together today, isn't it? blessing for those of you who are participating. I like to see the comments on Facebook or I like to see the views on YouTube. It's a blessing to be able to engage together as believers. If we miss church fellowship, we're missing a blessing that we could receive, but we're also missing a blessing that we can give. 
We don't just come to church and say, all right, bless me. Here I am. Bless me. We come to church and we say, God, how can I be a blessing? Is there somebody who needs encouragement today? And if you're missing, you're missing an opportunity to bless someone else. So James says, call the elders of the church and let them anoint with oil. The Greek word for oil here is related to the same word. It's basically the same word for olives. Olive oil. That's why we don't use motor oil or castor oil. <laughs> it's a good biblical one. Probably from Lindsay Olives, in my opinion. Uh, anybody else like Lindsay? They are so good. <laughs> it doesn't say Lindsay in the Greek. I will admit that. But man, those Lindsay Olives. Yeah, black or green. We just tried a new, a new variety. <laughs> Okay, let me get off of that. Get off, off of that. Okay, so anoint with oil. And in the Greek there, it has this idea of smearing with oil. And some people have seen in that a medicinal use of oil. And, and to be sure, there are times when oil was used medicinally in the Bible. You think about the story of the Good Samaritan. The guy was all banged up and bruised by the thieves along the road. And... He anointed him. He, he didn't, it doesn't say anoint. It's using a different verb in the, in the text. But he pours on him oil and wine, probably for its uh, astringent qualities. Uh, so oil was used medicinally as a type of balm, etc. Uh, but this is a spiritual context in James 5. It, it would appear. But I, I want to make sure that we don't miss the point, though, that God does heal through doctors, too. Amen? Uh, and it's not saying that you have to have one or the other. Uh, God works th through the uniting of human effort. We cooperate with our prayers. And so while we come to God and ask him for healing, we realize that that healing may come instantly. It may come over time. It may come through the combination of, of God and medicine, God working through medicine, who, after all, gave doctors the wisdom to be able to learn about the body that God made. And so we come together. We, we ask the elders to anoint in the name of the Lord. And then verse 15. It says, And the prayer of faith will do what? Will save the sick. Greek word sozo. Mostly used for spiritual uh, connotations, but also used for physical healing as well. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I just want to take a moment to address the elephant in the parking lot here today. I think probably most of us know people who have been healed as a result of prayer. We have seen healings as a result of anointing in this church. And it is thrilling when we see God move in that way. I had a professor that went from a wheelchair to walking. Um, and it seems as though it was as a direct result of prayer. After that anointing service, he started to feel a tingle in his toes. And it wasn't too much longer after that that he was walking again. God still heals people today. But I don't want to just pass by here without recognizing that we don't see the quantity of healing the frequency of healing that the early Christian church saw. 
during the time of Jesus, after the Holy Spirit was poured out in a powerful way, there was this additional boost that that church received and people were being healed left and right. Whole towns were being healed. We don't see that today. We see it. We get glimpses of it. We recognize before Jesus returns that latter rain, the second major outpouring of the Holy Spirit must come, must fall upon us. And when it does, we expect greater things than what the New Testament early church experienced. But right now, sometimes we're left scratching our heads. There's a couple of ditches we could fall into. We could approach it and say, well, God will always heal in every circumstance, every person. And so God becomes a puppet that we're controlling. And then if a person's not healed, then it's the blame game. Somebody didn't have enough faith. Who is it? Who didn't have enough faith? And so then you have two problems. You're sick and you have no faith. That's a, that's a dangerous ditch to fall into. And certainly, we do need to approach God with faith. We need to believe that God is able to do what he said he can do. But even Jesus said, Father, if it be your will. And, th- and there's a complicated discussion here, and we've preached a little bit on prayers and why they're sometimes answered and sometimes not. So I'd refer you to the sermons on our website. Uh, and, and further discussions with me. I, I'm working on a sermon series on some of these more troubling questions. Uh, so we need to approach God with faith. One ditch is that he'll always heal, and if he doesn't, who are we blaming? The other ditch is that to say that God never heals, and he can't heal. But that's not a good one either, is it? No, of course God can heal. Of course, he does heal. We've seen it. And if we, ha- if we took the time today, we could share testimonies of, of healing. I'm looking at Pastor Schooley and I'm thinking about the 40, how many more years did your wife get? 44 more, she was supposed to die and God gave her 44 more years. Remember something, all those people who were healed in the New Testament times, genuinely healed, what happened to them? Ultimately they died. The gifts of healing was not to make people immortal prior to the gift of immortality being given at the resurrection. God had a special purpose that he was doing in starting the church in those early days. And God, again, to close up this work, is going to have to help us because it's impossible without his help. But God is still active and working today. The Apostle Paul, he prayed for healing. He healed people left and right. In fact, it's crazy. You read stories about Paul. They would take a handkerchief from Paul, just a piece of cloth that Paul had had on him, and they'd take it to a sick person. The sick person would touch it, and they would get well. Did Paul have faith? Paul had tons of faith. But Paul prayed three times for the Lord to heal him. And finally, God just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Stop asking me. In fact, there are a couple of Paul's associates who were sick and were never healed, and, and it's been speculated that perhaps Paul had asked God to heal them. And in his wisdom, um, 
He didn't for some reason. We also need to realize that there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes. I'm reading this fascinating book right now that's talking about the rules of engagement in the great controversy, this battle that's going on that we have no clue of, this spiritual battle. And there are certain rules of engagement due to the nature of things that God is choosing to self-limit himself uh, to these rules. And I'll do a sermon on this sometime. So this is just a little teaser. Um, so how do we come to healing? We come to God saying, God, I 100% believe that you can heal me, and I'm asking you by faith to heal me. And God, my preference is to be healed right now. I'll take a gradual healing over time, God, but I'll also take eventual healing as well. My dad, he prayed for healing. He thought he was going to be healed. He had the faith. He'll be healed at the resurrection. My dad also recognized, if this is what God is allowing me to go through, then I will find joy in my suffering. I will find joy in my sorrow. And he had that joy. And he will be healed. So we come to healing and anointing with all of these things in our mind, but we come knowing that God can and God will ultimately provide all healing. You know, a lot of times when we come for anointing, there's more than just physical healing that we need. We also need mental, emotional, spiritual healing, not just for physical healing. Notice the passage also says, and if he has committed any sins, he will be what? Forgiven. And in in the context here, it appears as though James is connecting sin with a particular illness. Most of the time, there's no correlation. But sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we messed up and we got sick because of it. (laughs) I can think of times when I know I shouldn't eat all this sugar but then you do. And what we know about our immune system and all these things leads to sickness sometimes. Implied in the verse here is, is the fact that if we have messed up and that has caused our illness, if God's going to heal it, we need to cooperate with his will. If we have developed cirrhosis of the liver from drinking and we're asking God to take away this serious ailment, then we need to be committed to changing our lifestyle. Saying, God, I want to cooperate with my prayer. I want to live a healthier lifestyle. But just know, when we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. Sins will be forgiven. And then verse 16. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A lot of different types of healing that we pray for. Certainly, if we have wronged someone, we need to ask for their forgiveness. We need to confess our wrong to them. And of course, we confess all of our sins to God. But it seems like James here is pointing, at least in part, to sharing your struggles with others so that you can gain support 
This is a part of, of a healthy, growing Christian experience. Usually it's our pride that keeps us from doing that. Because we want to have our happy Sabbath smiles and, and have people think that we don't have any struggles. Well, let me, let me clear up the, the illusion here. All of us struggle. All of us struggle. A friend of mine came to me one day. He shared a big struggle that he had. And he felt like he was alone in it. I said, oh, no, I totally struggle with that, too. Oh, you do? Yeah. Probably most of us struggle with very similar things. They have a phrase that, that says, secrets keep us sick. It's a hard burden to carry around all these secrets. And we confess our, our sins to God, of course. But we weren't meant to struggle alone. We were meant to lift one another up, to bear one another's burdens. To have people who, kelp, who keep us accountable. That when we're being tempted by this, that, or the other thing, we can call them up. We can text them. We can say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Could you pray for me? I need some extra encouragement. And often, just in admitting that, you feel better already. When you just admit to another believer that you're struggling and the devil is tempting you, you don't even have to say what it is. Almost automatically, you feel strengthened in some way. It's amazing. You know, David in Psalm 32, he said, you know, I was holding in this thing, I was holding in, and my bones were growing old. David felt the pain of holding in his sin. That doesn't mean we have to get up and confess all of our dirty laundry to the whole church. That's not what this is meaning. This is saying, find people you trust. Find people you can pray with, regular prayer partners that you can call up, text, message anytime for a little extra boost. If you don't have people like that in your life, find them. Ask God to reveal who to come to, who to go to. You can start by talking to me, and I won't be judgmental, but I'll, I'm going to tell you, okay, now you need to find other people. <laughs> can start here, but, but it's not going to end here. You're going to find people that you can talk with, pray with, encourage. I tell you what, like even just working out, I mean, I don't have enough motivation to work out regularly on my own. I need to find a workout accountability partner, right? I know people that, that they have consequences if they don't work out. And they have people that, that keep them accountable. You know, if they don't work out, their friends will ask them, did you work out? I didn't work out. Okay, you know what that means. <laughs> and it helps them to grow. If we do it for physical improvement, why not spiritual improvement? Even just for devotions. Hey, did you read your Bible? Hey, are you praying? No? Well, let's pray about that. I love you. God loves you. Let's pray about it. People struggle for 10, 20, 30 years just thinking, all right, I'm just about to get over this. I'm just about to, to gain the victory here. Pride holding you back. Don't let it hold you back. <laughs> Someone came to me one time and they, 
They shared a, a very real struggle that they've been dealing with. And they felt like I would view them less because they shared the struggle. And at the end, I said, no, I view you more highly than I did before. Because that took a lot of guts to share that. I, I put you in higher regard now that you've shared that, not lower. You know, even scientists are recognizing, secular scientists recognize the benefits of letting out some of these secrets. Check this out. I don't know if any of you listen to NPR ever. Uh, There's a program called Fresh Air with Terry Gross. She had a guest on there named David Eagleman, secular scientist, and this is what he said. He said, you have competing populations in the brain. One part that wants to tell something and another part that doesn't. There's a real physiological battle going on in the brain. So keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that are seen at or understood to be wrong, means continual struggle with yourself. The internal dissonance and the lack of a sense of personal integrity is draining, he writes. The struggle involved in keeping a secret is stressful. That means that the brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormone going through the bloodstream as a result of this struggle. The brain does not enjoy the stress. Living those duplicitous lives, or those living with duplicitous lives, with the stress of keeping whole sections of their life secret from people every day uh, that they care about, the fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones over and above the effects of the wrong behavior causes an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and well. Secular scientists realize what David admitted thousands of years ago. Don't hold stuff in. Confess it to God, yes, but James has confessed to other people. Just let them know. It's something as simple as, hey, I don't have it all together. There are things I struggle with. I don't feel like going into all the details, but could you pray for me? Would it be all right if I called you or texted you from time to time to ask for prayer? And you know what they're going to say? They're not going to say, shame on you. You're supposed to have it all together. No, they will say, absolutely. In fact, I've been feeling the same thing. And they'll thank you. When you're suffering, pray. When you're doing well, Sing your prayers to God. When you're sick, call others, people from the church, the elders, the prayer warriors from the church to gather together and anoint you. When you're struggling, confess, pray with one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In the Greek, it's the praying prayers. That's a way of of emphasizing, saying fervent prayers, the people who are praying. And your prayers don't have to be long to be fervent. They don't have to be long. Now, they may be long, but they may also be intense, even though their duration may be short. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Elijah was a man who was a super saint, Is that what it says? No. Elijah was a man born with more faith than any of us. Someone correct me on this. 
with a nature like ours. He was a regular dude. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Now, we'll do probably a sermon series on Elijah, so I'm going to save some of the PowerPoints for later. But Elijah was a regular guy, and God used his prayers to do awesome things. What does God want to do through your life?